0: So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. what's going on everyone i've got um on the mic uh somebody i've actually never met just talked to a couple times on the phone uh and that's brian with mike's archery out of ohio uh brian what's going on and how did mike's archery get its name and you're brian that's confusing so
1: (laughs) yeah yeah. good morning yeah exactly so uh, my dad's mike um so yeah i'm I'm the only only child and uh, took over the business back uh, when I graduated high school. So dad started back in like 1971. We've been in business like 52 years, and so he kind of was in the infancy of the what I would consider modern archery and starting everything off. And so that's that's how we got the name. So named after dad, but actually owned by mom. So <laughs> there, you, there
0: you go. Well, yeah, actually it was so it was uh, Dan Yasa who's a a rep for um, well he, he works without tech but for PSE and he had messaged me. Uh, which is how you and I met, um, to, you know, get you guys on the, you know, the podcast, talk about archery, things like that. So tell everybody about the shop and I, you just said over 50 years in business, but what do you guys offer okay. there and that type of stuff?
1: Oh man, we, we pretty well covered all. We're, we're all archery all the time and no, no guns, no fishing or anything. Um, we carry pretty much every major bow brand and every major brand in the industry. Um, uh, we just kind of, over the years, accumulated our love with archery to all the brands, and I mean, you name it, we got it, uh, so uh, we cover it all, and, and we do a lot of different aspects of it, not only just a retail shop, uh, we do have that, but we've been uh, a wholesaler for a lot of years, so we had a, an Eastern distributorship over the years, and so we distribute to other dealers around the country, uh, support some of the non-profit organizations, uh, working with NRA and WTF and a lot of that stuff. Um, and then on top of that we do online sales as well. So, you know, about any any way you can get archery to a customer, we, we do it.
0: So, you've got uh, PSE, Matthew's, Hoyt, Bowtech, Elite, like the big the big ones or what what are your what yep. are your prime uh, all, you
1: know yep, All those. We're actually we're the largest bear dealer in the country, so we do a ton of bear bows. Uh, I think we're one of the top 5 PSE dealers in the country. Um, Oneida Yeah We're actually the largest Oneida dealer in the country Which you don't hear that name very often We got a couple custom bows that we do with Oneida um, You know for bow fishing and that stuff uh, And then yeah All the other big names Matthews, Hoyt, Elite, Bowtech uh, We actually stock some Athens Darton um, Yeah exactly Pretty they, much I, I, right. I, I keep forgetting what they are <laughs> Sometimes Yeah. Sometimes there's so
0: many No that's good So uh, obviously with the bows and then just, you know, like depending upon what type, type of pro shop you, you go to, cause obviously some people, it's more of a hobby. Obviously with you guys, it's, it's an actual business. Um, what, what, like as a, st- what is your number one seller? You said you, you're the largest, uh, you know, bear dealer in the United States, but is bear your, yep. your actual number one seller?
1: It, yeah. Yep. It is our, you know, as far as numbers overall, yes. Uh, it's just cause we do so many of them shipping them to customers and setting them up before they go. Um, you know, it, it's just kind of one of those things that grew as, as over the years. And dad actually hunted with Fred uh, and spent some time up at the factory when, when he was young. Uh, so we had that connection all the way back to the beginning. So that's kind of nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, when it comes to all this different stuff it's still our number one but i I think we try to pride ourselves more on the fact that we aren't overly opinionated Mm -hmm. uh i mean you talked a little bit about you know smaller shops and whatnot and i realize a lot of shops can only have one two maybe three brands on the shelf uh you know when you walk in here it's like well what do you want to shoot you know i i don't care whether you walk out of here with a matthews i don't care if you walk out of here with a psc or a bear or a bowtech you know, I want you to shoot whatever bow is back there that makes you happy. And, and you walk out of here with a product that you're confident in rather than, man, you got to shoot this. Cause this is what we got. Yeah. And, and I, mean, I think that's a little different places.
0: Yeah. I would just say that's yeah. I mean, and nothing wrong with any of the business mottos, right? I mean, a lot of people will push, Right. Exactly. Like, there's a, there's a shop in South Dakota that pushes Matthews hard. And, but they stand b- behind that they have a good relationship with it the only time that's a mm-hmm. negative is when you go in and you i don't want to say get bullied but it happens you can get uh, you can get bullied into buying a bow i've i've seen it while i'm at a pro shop where somebody comes in and wants brand X. and uh you know that's not that's not the preferred bow of that shop and there's nothing that just happens right you you have your cool yeah, like, yeah. following so
1: we hear it all the time. And, uh, and like you said, nothing wrong with it. I mean, if you walk in, this is what I got, you know, I'm, I'm certainly going to try to put a bow in your hand in one way or another, but um, you know, probably one of the bigger complaints we hear is people trying to push people to a higher end, which, you know, we all want to sell them a, a top quality product, but there's a lot of $600 stuff out there that will, will outperform something that was a thousand dollars you know, five, 10 years ago.
2: And not everybody has the, the budget to jump into a flagship bow if they're just getting into it or, you know, they just don't have that budget. So we try to work with them and fit them with the best bow, best setup that we can that fits their budget instead of, like you said, bullying them into the next level or you got to shoot this. And it, it's just like you said, a lot of that goes on. We hear it all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that, uh, you know, when people, yeah, everybody's got their, their favorites I mean and when I say that what you're so some, some, some of those favorites might be because of margin when you're a, when you're a dealer other like if you've got somebody working at a shop or the local crew that hangs out at the shop everybody's gonna have a, a favorite or what they've you know what's kind of collective experience of what hasn't failed what's easy to adjust and that goes into bows too some bows for mm-hmm. dealers are a freaking nightmare to to work
1: oh, on. yeah I mean, and we try to cover, I mean, we do a whole YouTube stuff. That's a lot of what we get into as well as our YouTube channel with bow reviews. And and we try to be impartial with that. You know, it's like, here's the goods, here's the bads, you know, here's what we think. But at the same time, you know, under these circumstances, that might be good when when I think it's bad on some aspects. But, yeah, when it comes to tuning and setting up some of them, uh, some of these bows have it dialed in to where, man, it's really nice for us to work on. And others are just more difficult to get them, you know, dialed yeah.
0: in. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that, that goes a long way, especially when you're looking at. Uh, yeah, And I've definitely had pro shops get a hold of me uh, somewhat pissed off for whatever reason or another when I'm talking about different aero builds. <laughs> and so I have to caveat from here on out now of this is not expected of your pro shop you have to pay for it. So, <laughs> yeah. g- g- because
2: I got a pro yeah, shop I mean, at my we, house
1: we your podcasts too and uh, yeah there's some of that stuff in there we listen to it's like if you want us to do it we'll do it <laughs> but, but man some of it you're right is like you should not expect us to do it for free <laughs> yeah,
0: well and I've I've had to I have not had to go and when I say I go to pro shops but I mean I gotta I got I got a couple last chance presses at the house and vices. And, you know, I can do pretty much whatever I want. And you forget about that because you're stuck in your own little world. This happens with all humans, right? You get in your own little world Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm up there spinning every arrow and I'm doing this or that, whatever. And it's like, you know, when you talk about tuning an arrow to a bow, meaning, you know, if you got a 29 inch draw and you grab whatever spine arrow and you Cut it off around that same as the draw length, right? And you you can generally tune that, bump the rest here left and right, whatever. But when you start talking about like micro tuning and bear shaft tuning, and that, I mean that can take one human, one person with one tech, four to eight oh, okay. hours, pretty easily, depending upon how tired they get, how far you're shooting out after that micro tuning. Talk a little bit about your like when people come in. The shop, like, what's your system for getting them set up, getting them a bullet hole, and you know, timeline. Like, how much do you spend with a customer if they buy a full full boat, like full boat?
1: I think the first misconception of a lot of customers, I, one, I would say most customers, don't even understand what it takes to tune it and to get it right because the number of people who walk in here, are like, oh, well, did you paper tune it? And I'm like, well, did you bring your arrow? Um, and and they're thinking like. I mean, I could walk back there and shoot a bullet hole with an arrow off my shelf, but then you're going to tell me you want to shoot this victory arrow, and I tuned it with an Easton. And and then there's, you know, I'm standing here shooting it, and my form may be half decent, and their form may be absolutely terrible, or it might actually be better than mine. And so when it comes to tuning and putting it together, I think a lot of guys walk into a shop, and I'm I'm just amazed how many people think over the phone, it's like, oh, just can you tune that up and make sure it's shooting good and and get a bullet hole and then ship it to me? it's like, I mean, I can, but (laughs) it might not
2: work out for you like it does for us. And it it all depends on the individual. I think when they come in here on a knowledge base to like some guys come in here and know we're going to be spending a couple hours, you know, it's going to be a couple hours and we're going to be tuning it. We're going to do a full setup. But then there's some guys that roll in here at, 10 till five o'clock before closing time. We're like, yeah, let's get this set up. Like we got enough time. Right. And it's like, mm, not to do it
1: right. No, <laughs> but, but we can slap it together and send you down the road if you want. Well, yeah, that's, um, that's, but the, yeah. I mean, one of,
0: Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just, oh, that, ahead, people, people really have to understand, like when we do these podcasts, obviously you own a pro shop, right? you, 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 this is your job every day. And, just right. like if you're a, a guide, right, you'll eventually become slightly jaded from certain events that happen that you just know are going to happen multiple times through the season. When you own a pro shop, mm-hmm. there are many different things, knowing multiple pro shop owners that you just know you're going to get that one customer once a week or once a month or you're going to get. <laughs> and and the one thing that I I think you you just brought up is that, hey, can you get my bow set up for me, get it sighted in, send it to me? Well, you can, but you can't, right? It's not, it just doesn't work that way. And and the number one thing is, which I want you to take it from here, but everybody anchors differently. Everybody's grip is different, and that changes the tune. So talk a little bit about that. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so... You're you're absolutely right. And that most difficult thing is the fact that everything is so individual. Um, I, I mean, I, I remember when, you know, bear first started making package bows and PSE started making package bows. And they were like, these are ready to hunt package bows. And they're like, you need to tie the loop, put the peep in and ship them out to the customer. I'm like, I can't do that. That was, that was my first reaction when they told me, that. I'm like, that's not possible because if you're shooting a hinge release or a thumb release versus shooting a, a finger trigger release then your anchor point is going to be different in all those aspects which again is going to change your draw length and that's going to change where the peep height should be um you know how how big is this person you know is their face longer than mine um there's so many aspects there that you i can do it and i can get generally close and then you're just going to have to fit yourself to the bow versus you coming in and, and one of me or Travis or whoever takes the time to stand there and go, okay, you know, you told me you were 29 inch draw, but it looks to me like you're like 28, 28 and a half. Mm-hmm. Let's shorten this up a little bit. Um, you know, and then from there, you, you deal with the customer a little bit more. It's like, okay, let's, you know, draw this back. You know, where does this peak need to be? You know, Anchor, get your anchor point, you know, where you need it to be. And some people don't have a good grasp of what that is. I mean, you have all aspects from, you know, the the guy who walks in who's never shot a bow and and can barely draw it and and understand the form of getting it there versus the guy who's shot for years and maybe has great form or maybe the guy who's shot for years and has terrible form. Um, you got to work around all those aspects and try to cater to all that And then give them the best advice you can, hopefully to make them a little better shooter if if their form's not that great. You know, get that set up and then start working on the tune. Once you got that, then you can start working on, okay, hey, what's your, you know, are you torquing this bow? I mean, different bows, we look at them and, and the grips on them, you know, is not my cup of tea, but the next guy might love the grip. And it's, you know, have you been taught to shoot with an open hand, you know, properly? to get the torque out of it, or are you one of those guys that just grips it and rips it?
2: Yeah, and I don't think guys understand the importance of the grip and how much it can actually change your tune. I mean, we've had it, we'll stand back in the lane and a guy will be shooting a straight left hair every time and me or Brian can pick it up and shoot a bullet hole. And it's like, well, what's wrong with that? What's your grip? I mean, you're, you're torquing. I can watch you torque it or you, you got face pressure. There's a lot of factors that go into it that, a lot of guys that maybe the lack of experience or maybe it's us taking it for granted that, you know, goes into the whole shot process that can affect the whole tune at the very end that, that can screw everything up or make it better. <laughs> and
0: we just did a video showing, and I just, I simplified it to a little bit be more of a, a blaring, you know, light was I was showing the distance just from the arrow to the bus cables at full draw and me changing my grip position how much that changed the distance from that bus cable to the arrow, as I would even Mm -hmm. like push my arm forward or change my, bury my face into the, all those different things. And when that changes, then that's your tune changes. And there are people like me, I will say, I will always tear left, almost always out of every bow. Hoyt's a little worse. So I generally have to shim the cam left or I have to do some yoke tuning. I got a jack with it. That causes people like you for a long day, though. Like, it's not fair to
1: oh, you, yeah. you know? <laughs> sure. and, and I'm kind of like you. Like, Travis will walk back there. He can get a bullet hole out of, like, a piece of PVC sometimes. <laughs> and and I'll walk back there. And I'll get a bow that's perfectly tuned. I can't get a bullet hole out for nothing. And sometimes I just, you know what? Hey, we're going to mess with this, and we're going to get it close, and then I'm going to go shoot groups, and I'm going to go mess with some other things. And sometimes you just got to be happy with where you're at.
0: well and i mean that's important for uh, i don't want to come off as too much of a dick but if you are (laughs) are not a good archer and you you the pro shop cannot make you shoot a bullet hole if you suck and and that that's me too (laughs) like and 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 when i say that like i know ahead of time if i walked into your shop i'm gonna walk in and say hey Guys are probably gonna have to shim the cams to the left no matter what arrow we put on there. Cause some people don't understand. They'll try three different arrow combos, tearing left, going uh stiffer and stiffer. You will have yeah. you can have bad enough form. It doesn't matter if you shoot uh rebar. You you are torquing yeah. the bow. So you have to modify the bow, which in my case, I just tell when I'm like, hey, we're gonna have to shim the cam to the left. Like I'll just tell you that now. Like every bow I shoot, how I grip. Well, why don't you guys yeah. discuss the old?
1: Sc- that right there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, talk about this so people understand that the the shimming the cam technology's getting better, but when you it pull th- when you pull the axles out and donuts go everywhere and you know you're going to have a bad morning back in the day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> talk about like technology. And that
1: back to- depends on the bow you throw at me. Some of them have got it really dialed in, I think. You know, I think if you watch our videos, we're, we're pretty happy with what Bowtech has done. Um, Elite's done a nice job with their set technology. They, they did it a little differently. I don't think it's maybe the best way because it's, you know, torquing the, the limb pockets more than it's actually moving the cam, but it, it accomplishes it. Um, like you said, you can yoke tune. Uh, and then there's other companies that are still using the old style. Whether, you know, Matthews uses top hats, which is basically pulling axles and and moving shims. It's just a really big shim, so you don't have them go all over the floor. Yeah, a
2: little easier to handle and deal with. And then you got the PSE, the new 220 system, which is a little nicer. And the Primes use their C clip system, which is.
1: And then Hoyt's still using you know, three thin shims and one big one and a, and a fat one over on the other side and, and they all fall out on the floor and you just throw things and start all over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, and, and that set technology, that to me, that is a micro tuning option. So there was some problems <laughs> with the Omnia. Uh, I wouldn't say problems, but I mean, there was, there was guys maxing that set technology out and then you would get some, uh you would get some cable rub and, you yeah. know, I, I don't know how many questions I answered about that. And I'm like, well, Hey, don't, this is like, you shoot, everything's perfect. And you put like a, a small, to me, like, uh, this is coming from me, my yeah. personal thoughts, you can bump it just a hair left or a hair, hair right. And, and no problem, you know, go from an eighth inch tear to, to perfect. If you max that out, you're putting so much shift on that limb pocket. It causes weird cam yeah, lean.
1: Everything back, point. Well, and, co- and I mean, if you, if you, Look at what you're moving when you're moving shims. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe people have a misconception that you're making major adjustments and you're literally talking about, you know, ten thousandths of an inch makes a huge difference in how that bow tunes I'll when give you a, start bumping shims.
0: I'll give you an example and you'll laugh at this. So Anders has a legitimate 34 and a half inch draw length. He's my my general manager. He's the one that actually runs Kafar. He's a giant Okay. Yeah. Oh, he's giant. So I ordered him a Hoyt Highline, or he ordered one, whatever. And then I uh, we we had a Hamsky rest with the overdraw system they make to try that out. And I'm not a big overdraw fan to begin with. So I cut a 250
1: spine. No, long. It <laughs>
0: What's that again?
1: But but you couldn't get an arrow long enough for him to shoot if you if you didn't put an overdraw.
0: We, we we actually we were able a full length uh 250 spine was just enough without the overdraw. But
1: barely
0: got there. Yeah yeah you know like quarter inch in front of the rest or you know of the of the blade. But um so I I cut the arrow down as short as I possibly could. tour weak. tour weak. I'm like man and he did not want to go to a 200 spine. So took the bow part shifted the cam to the left and we immediately had a wounded soldier because that arrow now tore stiff and I couldn't, you can't glue the arrow back on, right? I mean, I I had cut it down. So shifting that that much made it to where now we had to pull the overdraw off, shoot a full length arrow from shifting that over, but I maxed it. I did not make micro small adjustments. I shifted it as far left as I possibly could to to get that. And so – I don't want to keep running at the mouth here about this with all of what you guys offer. And what is the easiest bow that you guys have on the market that you guys have to the market that you've found for tuning that you do not have to reinvent the wheel over? <laughs>
2: we're, we're not, we try not to be impartial, but I mean, for ease of tune, it's gotta be the, the deadlock cam system on, on right. Bowtex. I mean, it, it's just, it's so simple yeah, I mean you can do it at the line, you don't have to put it up threads, you I mean it's just simple, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I I mean and
1: this then is... else just takes a little time. Oh go ahead. I said and then everything else just takes a little time. I mean there's others that are pretty easy to mess with, but they still all of them require you well, except for really I mean you can you can tweak that like we said. Uh you can do that one on the line too. But after that, you're you're going to the press and moving parts and pieces.
2: Yeah, even if that's a a yoke tune on a single cam, you know, you still you're still throwing it in the press, so it still takes more time.
0: Yeah, and you you know when people, yeah, I mean, you guys see it. You'll find a twenty years twenty year Matthews guy, a twenty year Bowtech guy, you know, they just won't <laughs> even look at another bow. And a lot of that I get is comfort, right? It's it's when I say you're comfortable with it, you know the bow, or you know whatever. But, like, in today's day and age, there's not very many bad bows on the market. Like,
1: they're... Yeah. They're, I mean, I, can, I can't stress that enough. That it's all personal preference more than anything. Because all these bows will shoot, you know, if you take the time to tune them, they will all tune out and, and shoot great. And you can't, unless you shoot a whole lot of bows, a awful lot, the average guy can't tell a nickel's worth of difference between any of the brands when you're, if you're talking about flagship top end bows.
0: Yeah. And w- you know, with, with that, um, you, you know, the, the flagship bows, like you talked about deadlock with, you know, with Bowtech, any good shooter can shoot any of those bows. What I've found, like some people will like a little bit harder wall where Hoyt is kind of known. Mm-hmm. They've got a little sponge. They've gotten better in the last couple of years, got a little sponge in the wall. Um, you know, some people will like that, you know, depending, I would say Matthews and I, I, I don't make jokes about this. I'm not the war at five feet is amazing to me of what I see in comparison. And when I say that, I I want your guys to tell me I'm a, a, a moron. If the bow to me, it is important that the bow feels good in your hand. But actually being able yep. to hit something with it is is significantly more important. So Matthews does an amazing job at having a vibration-free, quiet bow. Yep. But that does not mean, mean everyone will shoot that bow really well because of those no. two attributes. And right. I, I, I stress it, that, I mean,
1: to guys. Yeah, the war at five feet, you're, you're right, because the most of the time, I would say 98% of the time, you're gonna walk into a shop and you're gonna pick up a bow and and same here. I mean, we don't have a thirty yard indoor lane where you can go, you know, shoot this thing out to that. I mean, so yeah, you walk up, I put it in your hand, you draw it back and you go, Ooh, that draw cycle's tough, or oh man, that's really smooth coming over, or you know, okay, the let off feels good when I get to draw, you know, when you put it in my draw length, it feels really good coming over, and then you release. And it's either, oh I man, that was really quiet or that's really dead in my hand. I didn't have any hand shock. And end of story. Yeah, that's like I, I want that one.
2: That's probably the number one thing we hear when guys shoot bows. They'll turn around and look at us and be like, oh, well, that one had a lot of hand shocker. Oh, my God, that was dead. You know what I mean? Like, And that's the thing that they seem to focus on more as where we like that. But there's more to it than just being dead in your hand. Like you said, you got to be able to hit what you're aiming at.
1: And once you get the full draw, does, does that bow sit? Well, Yep. you know, does, does it actually, you know, can you feel it rocking back and forth in your hand? Can you, can you feel when you put the pin on the target, it's going to float, but you know, are you floating a whole lot with this one or is it pretty steady? Um, and then it's, you know, once you actually shoot that bow, how does it fall away? How does it, you know, react after the shot for you? Um, and like you said, are are we hitting where we're aiming? Because, you know, I can take you back 20 years ago. And if I handed you a brand new Matthews from, you know, 2000 or a brand new Hoyt from 2000, you'd be like, this bow just rattled, you know, my arm loose. Yeah. <laughs> and this is terrible. And there's only 60 or 65% let off. And man, it, it came over harsh. Well, guess what? We killed a whole lot of stuff for a whole lot of years with all them bows and and' when in a situation maybe not so much on the line, shooting targets but if you 're in a hunting situation, I would challenge you to know if I kicked you in the chest, let alone if you knew the bow went off <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and um,
0: you talk about the back in the days we and it's whatever i'm you know pushing getting working on fifty here, so're like knowing. One of my favorite yeah, I'm 45. bows was five. Yeah, we're same, 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 same boat, right? The Hoyt Striker 2, the Hoyt Aspen, like I was a Hoyt guy forever. That striker two mm. was one of my favorite bows. They had the red line cam and they had a Viper, which was a wrist slapping piece of, it was yep. very difficult to shoot. Um, but 330 back in the day was smoking fast. And what it took to get there was not uh, was not acceptable in today's uh you know whatever current events of, of archery if you shot today what the in my opinion anyway, the top of the line bees knees like you were you know you know you're peeing out of a canoe sitting down. this is the the bow of a lifetime today is shit. um it's crazy oh,
1: I mean like I could take you over there and take the cheapest package bow from bear or PSE you know, whatever it is, a legit or, and and these bows are not bad. No. I mean, we're talking $400 package bows. Um, I could walk you over there and put those in your hand, and I think you would be more pleased with the performance, the feel, the shootability of one of those $400 bows than if we went back 20, 25 years and handed you what was an $800 bow back then with, (laughs) like you said, rigged out to the nines with the best of everything. If I handed you a $400 bow today, you'd be like, well, this is better.
0: Can you can you imagine throwing command cams in the mix in today's world and handing a bow, handing somebody a Hoyt with command cams and uh, see what they have to say?
1: <laughs> and I like command cams. It, I it, love. Them. Yeah, they were stout cam. I mean, you just had to stand on them to shoot them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best description of that I had for people was: uh, the angrier you shot it, the better the bow shot. So the more you stood on it and pulled harder and harder, the bow would shoot better, but otherwise you know the softer you were with it, the worse know, the, money. the worse it got,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that uh but, with with anything right you know you get you get you you know you get more money as you get older, you get lazier, you get more creature comforts, however you want to look at it. <laughs> archery is not any different. Like we didn't have range finders back in the day. And, and, uh, the, t- the technology that we have now, and I'm not complaining, it's just, um, no, no. it is, it is insane. And it, like, I shoot a longer bow, I shoot a, a verdict for hunting. And if I, if I good example that, yep. uh, that shoot down, that would be my hunting bow. If I shot a PSE, that was not a, yep, yeah. That was not a long bow back in the day. That was average. Now people look at me like, why are you shooting a tournament bow? I'm like, it's not
1: that long, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like 34, 35-inch axle to axle. That was the shortest thing you could find, and they didn't shoot where the crap. If you weren't shooting at least 40 inches axle to axle, um, you didn't have a bow. And I will say, things were slower. Things were heavier. Uh, whether it be arrows or the bow, it's physically itself. Things were heavier and slower back then. But you didn't have the tuning issues, and you were accurate. Now, you might not be accurate to the standpoint of, oh, I thought he was 35 and he was 40, and I shot under him. Um, but you were definitely easier to tune, easier, more shootability out of a bow because it was slower. Um, I mean, today's bows, obviously, they, in my opinion, they kind of plateaued. You know, I remember a few years back when PSE was the fastest thing out there with full throttles at 370 and now everything seems to have leveled off at, like, 345. If you see 350 as an IBO rating, um, that's that's a speed bow. And at the end of the day, we want to set that bow up and bring it down to where it's shoot about 280, you know, maybe 290, uh, at least from a hunting standpoint. Now, you know, targets where you're trying to control a field point and hit a spot, you might want to get a little faster. But but still, you're going to get tuned in a broadhead, flight out of a broadhead. Once you cross that 300-foot-a-second mark, um, you know, unless you're shooting a really compact, expandable, and even then it's questionable, you're going to get wind plane. You're going to get weird things happening with a broadhead. The, the tunability becomes way more difficult. Um, so, I mean, we bring these bows back. down to shooting 280-ish around there is, is a pretty happy number, in my opinion. I'm sure there's people that argue with me, but I think that's just a happy spot to be to get flight characteristics, you know, you're not losing a lot of trajectory as far as, you know, missing yardage by a few yards. Um, and you're still killing stuff. And you got plenty of punch, plenty of everything you need to kill anything that you're hunting.
0: Yeah, no, I'm a big two eighty proponent. I mean, I I I like the but you know, if I'm down to two seventy, I don't care if when I'm up in the, you know, two eighty five range, I'm fine. I just I people and it's like anything in life, the speed thing hits just about everyone and so i it's hard for me now and i say hard i put this in context and have you guys dive in i will see guys doing a lot to gain 10 to 15 feet per second and on average you gain what two and a half feet per second per pound on average somewhere in there is that about right yeah and yeah, mm-hmm every 10 grains, you add about two and a half to three feet per second or take away, you know, you know, whatever (laughs) close to that. So if you drop 50 grains off an arrow, right, you're looking at 15 feet per second or vice versa. And people get in their head that if they're not shooting 300 feet per second, something's wrong and i'm like guys i'm shooting 268 right now i i mean i get it but i I, you know it's don't don't stress over it right and accuracy goes out the window for the goal of of speed a lot and and people go through phases with that would you guys agree with that that some people get in their mind a certain speed and don't care about how the bow shoots
2: yeah for sure i mean but what what does it matter how fast you hit something if you don't hit what you're aiming at you know what i mean it's like that's what we try to explain to guys. It's like, yeah, these bows are IBO'd at 340, 345. Realistically, like myself, I'm a 27 inch scrolling. I'm never going to see that, especially with a decent hunting weight arrow. You know, I like a 475 to 550 depending on the bow. And where I work out, I'm like you know, 260 to 280. Usually where I like to fall, this depends on the bow. But, yeah, the speed thing, guys get it locked in their head, man, and it's like, 300 or bust, I got to have it. And, and they'll sacrifice an A-plus arrow set up to drop down to to get some speed that, you know, what's 10 feet per second, really? You know, if you're already shooting 280, 285, like, it, it's not that much better.
1: And I think there's other, the other misconception I see a lot is um, people see those rated speeds out of a compound you know, whatever that might be, whether it's 345 or 350. And then you have to bring it back to reality that that is a number that no human, for the most part, is going to see except your guy that's got a 34-inch draw. And because they rate those at a 30-inch draw with a five grains per pound arrow, so a 350-grain arrow, and nobody is shooting that. And, you know, the average guy that walks in here and he's a 27-and-a-half or 28-inch draw. And then he only wants to shoot it on 65 pounds uh, or 60 pounds. And it's like, look, you're going to be shooting the two sixties and I can't fix that. Um, And they just, they hear those advertised numbers and they're somewhat uh, misleading. Mm -hmm. I know we got to have a baseline, you know, to keep kind of the manufacturing a little bit in check. And sometimes I swear, I think they fudge those because I don't know that we've ever tested a bow that actually gave us a number that we were like, Oh yeah, that's spot on for what they're rating it at. But occasionally it happens uh so i mean when they test those things i, I think it's funny because i mean i've talked to all these manufacturers and it's like well yeah we're at 30 inch draw 70 pounds and then we we took the stops off and we made sure there was nothing on the string and we shot a bare shaft error so there was no fletching on it and we did this and, this, and it's like okay so you made this number up <laughs>
0: yeah, and and pretty much everyone you know does that so i buy I mean, I just tell, I mean, and this is rough numbers, but you do this long enough. Like I don't look at arrow charts or I'm, you guys probably don't either. I don't, I've got everything kind of memorized. So if somebody says, Hey, I've got a 28 and a half inch draw, I'm going to shoot 70 pounds and my, my bow IBO is at three thirty-five, and I want to shoot a 480 grain arrow. I'm like, well, you're going to be shooting around two sixty-five to two seventy-two, give or take. Um, yep. you know, and, and it, but they're like, well, the bow IBO is at three I'm like, yeah, or what, you know, I'm like, yeah. you, you can knock 10 feet per second off with the peep sight, you know, then you, you know, and I'm like breaking it down, then you've dropped down in draw length. And, but you can get it once you learn it. You guys can tell somebody, I would imagine, their speed within five feet per second, either way, just by what they verbally tell you.
2: Yeah, real close. I mean, yep. if you do it long enough and you set up enough bows with, you know, building custom arrow setups and stuff, like you said, we can get, reasonably close that might disappoint a lot of people but you know it, it is what it is it's
1: totally true. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah you go to another shop they're not going to make it faster it, it it is what you're literally it, it is what it
1: is um so you, you, you might find their chronograph four foot a second faster than my chronograph but it's probably still the same air speed <laughs> yeah
0: yeah no exactly so with you you guys are in Ohio obviously whitetail country what is your standard out the door mm-hmm. setup normally what do you guys to uh, 280 280 feet per second, same kind as me. What would you say the, the average yep. arrow going out the door, average bow build is? And when I say that, meaning on the on the higher end, non package bows, like what side are you guys putting on, what rest, what arrow is kind of your favorite arrow, that kind of stuff?
1: Well, again, we, we have everything. So, again, we're not terribly opinionated. We do push guys. Uh, we lean Easton somewhat, but, you know, we carry Victory. We carry Black Eagle um you know i've got gold tip so i mean we've got all the major brands here if you walk in and say you know i've been shooting a gold tip hunter forever i'm not going to walk over and go well you got to put an easton you know 6.5 in your bow that um but you know generally we're going to put you in and again budget wise probably an axis if you're wanting to go more top end Mm -hmm. uh, with an easton um you know after that you know, whatever you want, you're thinking. Rest-wise, uh, I would say our pick's a Hamsky. For sure, Hamsky, yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm personally a vapor trail guy. Um, I've shot those for years, and I like those real well, but I switched to a Hamsky on this most recent bow build that I just did for myself a couple weeks ago. Um, but both of them great rest. A lot of guys love QADs. We put a lot of QADs on. Um, obviously, if you're doing any of the integrate system, that's kind of your only option is go QAD. They shoot fine, just not my personal favorite, but good rest. Um, Site-wise, top end, you're probably looking...
2: We, we do a lot of HHA, it seems like, with guys walking in. Spot hogs, I mean, those are your... I say. I mean, we do a lot of Trophy Ridge, uh, that new digital, digital react and stuff. A lot of guys are interested in that. We've been selling it pretty good, but we also picked up Ultra View. so you're seeing guys buying the HHA, throwing an ultra view scope on it or doing the same thing with a spot hog. So I'm at say spot hog HHA or probably one's guys lean to around here and I, you know, it's marketing, it's whatever they see, but, uh, that, that seems to be the the ones now, unless you're going Matthews, a lot of guys are going to that bridge lock system, but there's so many people out there now making you got uh, options. Yeah. You got a lot more options than last year when it was just the Excel. So.
0: And I think that uh, with you know obviously as you travel you know west obviously the bow setups change a little bit I mean and when I say that it's more of the sight right uh, you know maybe the arrow a little bit but more you know you're reaching out and touching something a little bit more when you head out uh, you mm-hmm. know head out west the uh, I I uh, I
1: think the long axles when you head west um, maybe a not necessarily I would say probably a little heavier arrow setup especially those guys are usually hunting elk. You know, if they're going antelope or just mule deer, and then maybe they're still still similar to our whitetail setups, but typically you see a little heavier arrow, a little longer axle. You'll sell an ultra, you know, or a 33, 34 inch axle axle bow, you know, over a 30, 32 to a Western guy. I see that a lot. Yeah,
0: yeah, and then the the pin configuration, you know, west west coast or guys out west will you know, may have five to seven pins on a dial, um, you know, on a Rover. Like I I've been shooting, I'm actually working on, you know what? I probably shouldn't say that. Uh, anyway, I've been working with HHA on a couple of things, and, and, uh, but, um, they only have a five pin. Right. And, and I was talking with Chris and I'm like, can we, can we, can we throw a couple more pins on, you know, I'm like, I, I, I personally shot seven pins in a mover forever with my bottom pin, my 80 being my Rover. Um, And then I I shot that. Oh, it's confusing if you're not used to it. I don't, uh, I don't suggest that to me. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, no, no. But I, but like with a, with a four pin, so, you know, they have the 20 through 50, I shoot that Tetra max, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in my fifties, my, my Rover, um, when you, when I first went and hunted whitetail, you know, I had a seven pin spot hog and the the guys in Wisconsin were looking at my I had horns coming out of my ass and I, they were like, you
1: know, yeah. like you need, you need one pin if you're lucky. And, you know, you might need your second one if he doesn't come, <laughs> if he runs by at a distance, well,
0: <laughs> just different mentality. Right. I mean, it's just totally different to where. You know, a forty-yard shot is is uh, you know a fairly not close but close ish ish shot for Western hunting. You know, forty is pretty standard. Mm-hmm. Where forty, you know, I've shot at a couple whitetails at forty yards, and they were about seven yards from my arrow when it got there, especially down in Alabama. So, different mindset, yeah, yeah. you know, on the on the on the setup or whatever. But when when people come in with, you had said you bump up the arrow weight maybe a little bit, things like that how many multi-pin sites are you setting up or is three kind of a standard or five or, or what are people wanting in your neck of the woods?
1: Three or five is basically they're, they're going one way or the other. Um, and I would probably say a lot of guys in our end are just doing a single pin mover, you know, like an HHA or something to that effect. Um, because you're going to set it at 20 or if you want to set it at 25, um you know hold a little high a little low you've got 20 cover you got everything up to 25 covers spot on and and 30 you're still going to kill him um and in a whitetail situation like you said the number of deer i've killed past 30 yards i could probably count on one hand
2: yeah 40 40 is a relatively close shot for western but around here especially i mean everywhere is different but in in our area 40 if you're not on the edge of a field yeah 40 in the woods is I mean, you, you better have a pretty good pre-cut lane. <laughs> yeah, you,
1: yeah, you better be sitting on an old logging road or something because, I mean, we're in the foothills of the Appalachians, so it's still it's not terribly steep, but we got pretty decent-sized hills and a lot of timber and not a lot of ag. So, yeah, I mean, you're sitting in a tree stand, and, and these deer are going to be 20 or less most of the time, 25 at the most. And to get a setup past that on an animal – you know, sitting in a stand or a blind it probably isn't going to happen. Um, you know, now if you're hunting Illinois or Iowa where, you know, you got some ag fields and something you're sitting on the edge of, and he might be out there 50 yards in the field, then maybe, but like you said, they're, they're a little cagey. They're a little jumpy. Uh, you mentioned Alabama, man. I, sh- I hunted Alabama several years ago and I shot a doe at like 40 yards on the opposite side of the field. And she was broadside facing to the left. And when the arrow got there, she was headed to the right and I hit her in the back hip. Yeah. <laughs> and I, on the opposite side, she was standing and I was like, what in God's name just happened. <laughs> yeah. They're just, they're, um, they're cracked. Different-
0: yeah. They're cracked out. They oh, yeah. five months getting hunted for five <laughs> months straight. I'd probably be a little twitchy too.
1: Yeah. At, at a deer a day, you know, they, they just whack them down pretty hard down there. <laughs>
0: oh yeah. Yeah. Um, well what, what broadheads are you guys uh I and I know you you guys offer everything. What's what's going out the door oh, more?
2: Man. I mean, fixed blade wise, we the last couple of years has been a Magnus. ton of magnets. Yeah, like a holy bunch. <laughs>
1: yeah. And then and QAD makes it exodus. Dad killed a buck with that last year. Was real pleased with flight and,
2: yeah, and like penetration. That,
1: Dad's shooting light poundage. Uh, you know, he's getting older. But, uh, you know, those those two heads are real good on the fixed blade side. There's obviously a lot of other options out there, mm-hmm. G5, but I'd say Magnus outsells them all on a fixed blade side. Mm-hmm. When you go to the expandable, I've seen Rage kind of die the last few years. Those were selling, you know, really well. I'm, I'm seeing Grim Reapers um, are probably one of our top
2: and G5, like the Mega meat, yep. the Dead Meat, the V2s and stuff, those seem to be coming
1: on pretty pretty popular. popular. Yeah. And like you said, there's everything else out there. I mean, there's just a ton of options. And, you know, they'll all kill it if you put them in the right spot. You know, I tell guys that a lot, you know, get get the right head and put it in the right spot. You know, there, there's not a whole lot of junk. And if it is junk, I'm probably not carrying it. You know, if it's truly a coming in as a dull head or not functioning, then I'm probably not putting it on my shelf for you to buy.
0: Yeah, no, that makes total, total sense. Would you say you sell more fixed blades or mechanicals?
1: Swinging back fixed blades. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was definitely a, a rush to the expandable side for the last bunch of years. Um, but I'm seeing guys swing back towards fixed blade more. Now on the flip side of that where we do a lot of crossbow stuff. yeah we had, I mean I have had a crossbow season since it ever started. so so you're getting into those you know 400
2: plus 500 feet per second bows. He, it's real sketchy shooting a fixed blade that fast and not getting a, a plane. So a lot of guys shooting multiple different expandables out of those. So yeah,
1: in fact, I don't even recommend you shooting a fixed blade if you're shooting a unless you're not shooting an older crossbow that's shooting fairly slow. If you're you know 400 plus or one of these top end Ravens or Ten Points or something, just put the, the expandable with the smallest amount of blade sticking out you possibly can because. Uh, it's not going to fly
0: well. Yeah, so uh, we're t- so getting. I mean, same uh, same line of thinking here, but not not crossbows as much on the the fletching stabilization side. Um, I um, you know, back in the day, and I, we're pretty close to the same age. You know, you remember uh, like the five inch Marco veins was pretty standard in a shop. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I had yep, fifteen inches of freaking vein. Which was standard, right? That's what Big Chucks was shooting, yeah. right? I mean, I, I uh, super Slam selects if you could afford them. If not, you're shooting game getters. And, you know, now, yep. like if you put a two and three quarter inch vein on, if it's any longer now, it's like you're sleeping with your sister. Like they don't, uh, <laughs> y- you know, a three inch well, vein you... is long. <laughs> What's that? Well, you
1: can't get it between the string and the rest either. I mean, back then you had an eight and a half inch, eight and three quarter inch brace. Height. And you could get a five inch vein in there. Um, now you throw
2: a four inch on, it's laying on your wrist. wrist yeah.
1: Exactly. That four inch vein will just lay right in the middle of your fall away. And you're like, well, that's no good. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Well, and I, I try to explain that, you know, this is my, but my deal on the, on the, the vein or the stabilization, you know, um, obviously people go back between four fletch, three fletch and offset helical. And, you know, I mean, they all do pretty yeah. good, right? All I mean, I'm not a big fan of some of the veins. That What's that again?
1: <laughs> I said we can dance with that one all day long, but it, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. <laughs>
0: well, I I uh, I did a video recently, T Bone actually. Um, you know, big T Bone, uh, bone collector, T Bone. Mm-hmm. He yep. he gave me a thumbs up because as I did the video, I don't know if I'd had a shot of whiskey or what, but I said, you know what vein you should shoot. Well, don't f and listen to me, just shoot what you're comfortable with because they're all going to do the job and you can really break it down and definitely some are a little better or quieter or whatever. But overall, I just tell guys to try to shoot a two and a half to three inch, you know, vein on a three fletch and have a little bit of offset and not get too, too crazy. And and unless yeah. you can really shoot well, most people are not going to shoot the difference and you have to shoot really well to shoot yeah. the difference
2: right right and i'm gonna I'm gonna be like you and I'm blaming Levi for the guys that we get that come in here wanting their left helical fletched. Clocked, yeah
0: yeah well
1: i, I sh-
0: I've always one left wing oh well i I've always shot left helical for the most part um just that's what just what I've shot and I I knew way back in the day if the if the string is twisted clockwise or counterclockwise is which way your arrow naturally is clocked. Um, you know that 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 is what you can I can contribute. Okay, if your arrow is naturally spinning to the right, if I remember correctly, you have clockwise twists, and if it's counterclockwise, it'll clock left coming out of the bow. the The thing that kills me with a lot of this stuff, and in and, and I'll come off as a dick saying this. Is a guy will send me a a book of different arrows he's looking to, you know, this one's 11.5% FOC, this one's 13.2, this one's 468, this one's 474 grains. And, but he can't hit a stop sign at 40. And (laughs) I'm like, man, you know, you're kind of putting the cart in front of the horse. What's that?
1: (laughs) that's not the arrow's fault.
0: (laughs) Well, that's like, it's like, Hey, you know, maybe, you know, and again, I, I I do this for people that think about it and be better archers, learn more about archery, get some lessons, really work on your form, really dig deep and do a lot of blind bale shooting and work on those things. And then the other stuff will come along, meaning you won't have to ask me. You'll know, you'll figure it out on your own. You know what I mean? Like if would you guys agree with that or what are your some of your thoughts on these things
2: yeah for sure I mean I think there's got to be a level of accountability on the archer I mean I think that you know the gear's cool it's fun to talk arrow builds it's you know what's the latest greatest whatever but it's not just the gear you got to put in the time you got to put in the work you got to do it yourself. I mean, you can't rely on someone like you all the time. You know what I mean? It's, you got to put in that work and figure out on your own and then start your building block process. You know, then you get into the gear heavy or whatever, but you got to have those fundamentals and that, that accountability that you have to do some research and spend the time and get better before the gear and everything else matters at some point. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I try not to come off as too much of a pecker wood when I say this, cause it's like, it's fun to tinker, but, but wow, tinkering is a lot more fun when you can actually see the difference. Meaning if you can shoot okay. the difference between a four fletch or a three fletch or whatever else, um, you know, in, or different point weights or different, uh, Oh, dang. Andres is bringing me salami. Um, You know, when, when I say that, <laughs> you know, people all, like, Hey man, you know, why are you shooting four Fletcher or whatever? Oh, group better. Oh, how'd you, you know, what'd you do to figure out the group? Well, I mean, I only, I only tried these, but it seemed to group better. I'm like, well, shit. Like what you,
1: <laughs> what, <laughs> what's that? Yeah, shot really good,
0: man. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah, and that's the thing. It's like if it shoots really well, like that's great. Shoot what you're comfortable with. But if you're, when you get to a point where you can shoot and tune really well, you really can see a difference in different fletching configurations or arrow configurations. You know, I'm kind of a 175 grain up front guy. Like pretty much all my bows mm-hmm. are all 175 up front. One of the reasons is that's just the best. I found for an all-around general good arrow for bucking the wind. It's a decent amount of FOC, even though I never checked that shit. But like you know, it's just an all-around good arrow for everything. But you go back yeah. east more. There's a lot. There's the the one seventy five might be. That, that's just not something that people. You know, it's one hundred and fifteen up front, one twenty. I mean, is that seems to be from what I talk yeah. to people standard out there.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I mean, agree with that. and most guys aren't shooting brass or, or weighting it up. They're it's basically like
2: a standard RPS insert, whatever comes with the arrow, and it's like rocking, point. Yeah, shooting a hundred grain point, and when you talk to them about you know building a little heavier, one seventy five, two hundred up front, you know, they look at you like a deer in the headlights. But and then there's the other flip side of it, like someone like you or like us on the tinker side of you, how you, know, you said it's cool to, you know, to, and it's fun to be able to shoot the difference, whatever, but we get to play with a lot of stuff. I mean, you get to play with a lot of stuff. We get to shoot all the bows. We get the arrows. We can play with it. It's, mm-hmm. There's a difference there. And, you know, we can fletch up seven or eight different fletching configurations and play with them ourselves. Where other guys that, at home can't necessarily do that because they have to come to someone like us, but you know, time and money, time and money. Yep. Well, and that, that's
0: kind of where the, um, the, the time, um, if, if what is a standard dozen arrows now,
1: average cost fully built? 150 bucks. And up. I mean, if you want a solid arrow, 150 bucks at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then
0: aftermarket components, if you were going to put those on, you're adding mm-hmm. s- probably six bucks an arrow. Is that about right? Or more?
1: Yeah. And if you actually shot a lighted knock or, you know, solid broadhead, I mean, yeah, you're you're throwing 20, 25 bucks downrange every time you let one go. Um, you know, if I brought dad in here, he, he just shakes his head most days because, you know, he would have made a standard package in 1980 and walked you out the door for 199 That was a bow with a dozen arrows and everything you needed. Um, and you can't even you know can't some, bro- some <laughs> broadheads you can't even get for that now for 100 bucks yeah for three yeah a no dozen.
0: back back the game getter two days i think they were 32 bucks a dozen or 28 maybe in my you know my, mm-hmm. when, my whatever beginnings okay. of my shootings and then you were living high on the hog when you had super slam selects and i think they were like 68 to 78 bucks a dozen um
1: yep you're you're pretty spot
0: on, <laughs> and, and then uh, Duravanes came out. You know, I was a Flex Fletch guy. Then Duravanes came out, and next thing you know, you know, and again, everything. I it's a collective of your previous history of what you've screwed up. I'm trying to shoot fixed blade broadheads with three 1.75 Duravanes, wondering why I can't get anything to group. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> so I'm always erring to a little bit bigger With Blazers, I
1: mean, you had a two inch blazer. And I'm like, that is the dumbest thing ever. Like there's no way you can make an arrow fly with a two inch vein. And, and you can, especially with the newer equipment. I don't think you could have 30 years ago, but you know, you can now, but it's still not the best. I don't, you know, like you mentioned a while ago that two and a half to three inches is a nice place to be. Um, and, and dad and I, I don't know if you know Darren Collins or not, yep. uh, he was a pro shooter from the nineties and early two thousands and whatnot. And, uh, he still shoots a lot today and killed a lot of stuff. But anyway, he, uh, he started playing with blazers and he called dad up and he's like, man, these these shoot better. Dad's like, there's no way a blazer is out shooting your four inch veins or your four inch feathers or whatever you got on it. It's not possible. And he went back and, you know, did what we talked about, started testing and shooting and, you know, he could shoot the difference. And he's like, yeah, you're right. They're not controlling my broadhead near as well. You know, like I'm getting a little this and that it's not controlling as well. And so it's like. Yeah, you need, you need more back there to steer that head. Now, again, you want to shoot field points, you don't need much back there. Inch and three quarters, you know, target vein, inch and a half. Uh, you can make them suckers just buzz right down through there with no no steering on the back end at all. But if you're talking hunting and killing stuff, then you need a little direction from the rear end. You do, and
0: I, I, th- I think it's, you know, also a lot of guys will put a little bit Smaller vein because, you know, there was the, the parachuting and, you know, the, and mm-hmm. I think people get that confused with just straight wind drag and, and, you know, definition wise or whatever. What I try to just it's like, hey, if you have helical and offset and you have a, a decent amount of it, it's going to drag the arrow goes and it'll go. So you won't get as much yardage out of it to where if you go to offset be- or smaller vein or whatever and people get kind of wrapped up in that.
1: Yep, it's one of those little rabbit holes you can chase yourself down. And at the end of the day, are we talking about five yards at 80? And are you ever going to need that? Does it matter? Well, maybe I'm, to you, to a few guys.
0: Some people should not be shooting past 50, and, you know, they're trying to get to 120. <laughs> and so.
1: Yeah, that's exactly my point. You know, if we're talking about losing three to five yards at, at 80 yards or, you know, 10 yards at 100 you can only shoot 90 instead of 100 my, my odds are on you can't shoot good enough to hit it at 90 for most people yeah and some days myself included so I'm not like <laughs> not like saying I'm some great Archer or anything, just because I've been doing it a long time. There's there's days that I can't either.
0: <laughs> well, and I mean, here's the thing: if you walked in, I mean, and this is a good test, you know, people being honest with yourself. And I talk a lot of shit about Instagram groups, but walk out, have a steel target, cut something about the size of a watermelon out of the lungs, and uh, you know, if you if you're like would would you know die on the cross, arguing that you're ethically you you are an ethical shot at eighty, well. Grab some pro comps or something that's in that $200 plus a dozen. <laughs> Throw on, a, you know, what's the most expensive, an iron will or, or a Valkyrie broadhead, something that's 30 bucks an arrow or a broadhead. And uh, shoot a dozen for me. Let me know how many made it into that little hole at 80 and how many wounded soldiers you mm-hmm. got laying around. Cause it only goes downhill when an animal's in front of you. It doesn't get better. Um, people say, "Ah, oh, you put fur in front of me, I'm way better." Eh, that's a lie. That is not true.
1: Um, Probably not.
0: Yeah, <laughs> not many. Um, but I mean, 80's a poke, right? I mean, 80's far and
1: <laughs> long way. yards, a long way out there.
0: Yeah, and and you you know you think about it, even especially in timber, like. Uh, you, you put something out there at 60 and timber, like when I say timber, like elk hunting, man, it
1: looks two miles away. Yeah. It I'm looks way far between that animal. Oh yeah. Uh, just, just a huge number of sticks, limbs, leaves, stuff you thought you didn't see. Oh man, it's a big clear lane all the way to him, and it's like, oh well, I didn't realize there was that limb and that limb, and yeah, and the arc of my arrow actually hit this limb because there's still arch and archery, um, you know, it's yeah. like
0: no, one hundred percent correct, and
1: I, God forbid, the end.
0: <laughs> well, I just say it with whitetail; they're a lot more apt to move too. And don't get me—I mean, I've taken some far shots, but I—I I, I think when people, you know when you come in and get your bow set up, really just concentrate and being like a a steward of the game, right? Being, being a better archer, Mm -hmm. learning, learning how to tune. And, you know, at least when I say learning how to tune, like obviously your pro shop can help you out a bunch, but when you're going out there, like, don't focus on, I need a hundred yard pin focus on, I need to hit a softball at 50. Like, you know what I like really put it into perspective, like really work on your form and groups more than you know this this specific number of distance because it it'll get you in trouble. You'll be blood trailing in cliffs in the middle of the night, thinking why the hell did I take that shot? Mm-hmm. So yeah. accuracy wins, every and
1: time. nobody do that. Yeah, no, nobody wants to wound anything. I don't think that's a a plan of anybody's when they head into the woods. We want to, all want to make a great shot and put the animal down as quick as possible and be as ethical as possible when it comes to that. And uh, and that's a that's a personal number a lot of times i mean for you maybe it's 80 yards for the next guy maybe it's 50 for the for the regular guy 30 or 40 um you know and you you got to know that and know your limits um, and practice your limits you know push yourself beyond that and practice but then have a realistic number especially if you're hunting certain animals um you know i've i've capped myself at some short distances depend on what I'm hunting you know and
2: it's just really being realistic with yourself and your ability I mean like you shooting 120 yards Levi shooting 140 150 yards like who are we to say that you can't do that when you guys do it all the time but we might not be comfortable with that so we set that limitation on ourselves or whoever the average guy is I mean that it's a personal thing but you can't tell somebody well 100 yards is too far you can't do that and it's like well I mean, you guys are dropping dimes a hundred yards. What that's ethical. You know what I mean? Like it, it, some guys at 30 are not hitting dimes, you know, and that's not ethical.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, we just had a, I just did a, a seminar thing at black Ovis in in uh, Utah and they did a, you know, outshoot Snyder thing where they had a steel uh, elk with, you know, like a, I don't know what it was like a, I don't know, baseball type hole in it, softball, baseball. And, uh, I don't know how many, there was shit, maybe 40 of us. And, uh, man, we got back to 55 yards shooting through that hole, me and another kid and, uh, Trent Cole. And we put three arrows in at 55 in that, that hole. And I was like, okay, don't look like, don't shank one at 20 and look like an idiot. Like, like keep your shit together. (laughs) right? So, and, uh, we got back there, but I was like, you know, you know, thinking about it as far as animal animals go, like man, cold boar, could I do that? Right. Like, and, and, and let's say even like, when I say cold bore more nerves with hunting, everything else. And then, and then what it took to, to get to that, you know, there's a lot of tuning and a lot of, you know, I got shit hanging all over my bow, even my hunting bow. I got crap. hanging. you know, I got kicker bars and I've, you know, it, there's a lot to it. And, you know, most, most people, you know, but I focus really heavily on, on accuracy, right? Like I, if my bow, I can only get 76 yards out of the sight but that thing's just grouping like nothing ever, then that's it. That's, that's the key for me is, is, is accuracy. And I, I really hope people start keep focusing on that more and more rather than speed and distance.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always been my mantra is man, you know, hit where you're aiming and make good shots. Um, Cause outside of that, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, you can miss faster all you want, you still miss and you still gut shot it or you miss the animal completely. And
2: and then have the, the willpower and the accountability to be like, okay, my limit is, like you said, 76 yards. If my bow's accurate at 76 and that's all I can get out of my sight and I know I'm, I'm dead on, be real with yourself. If you have a 90-yard bull, don't be like, well, I mean, I'm pretty sure I can hit it, but you fling one out and you hit it in the ass or something, you know, it's, just one of those things like you got to be realistic with yourself and your expectations
1: and, and we're still bow hunters. I mean, nothing wrong with shooting stuff out there when you need to or have to. Um, but we are bow hunters and the objective was for us to get closer. It was to be close to that animal anyway. And uh, so that's, that's the whole idea. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it's be a better hunter. Yeah. Get so, closer. Yeah. <laughs> Gain learned- another Five yards when you can get, Backyard. yeah no
0: i learned that the hard way with uh the stick bow of uh yep i was definitely using technology and shooting to my advantage because this is rough like <laughs> it was definitely an eye opener so but uh fellas we're we're about at an hour and uh believe it i gotta go i broke a freaking rib um oh, geez. when i was fishing last week i fell in a boulder field tried to impale my left uh breast with a but bolder. And then it was kind of okay. And then I sneezed a couple of days ago and it I think it popped it. It's not okay. It's Ooh. not okay. No, it hurts to breathe. I can't really laugh too hard. I sneezed yesterday and I'm pretty sure P came out the tip like it was bad. So I'm I'm going over to the physical therapist here in a few. What's that?
1: You should go have that check. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's uh, interesting, but, um, yeah, it, uh, at least I can function still and I can sleep on my back, just not on my side. So there was out, out of the negativity, there was some positive things that came through. At least I can still breathe and semi function. So.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a plus. <laughs> yeah. I like breathing. Yeah. One of my favorite
0: things in life. It's important, but, uh, I mean, uh,
1: I, I really appreciate on here and giving us the time to, to talk and, uh, uh, look forward to to hearing us and and talking to you in the future. So
0: definitely tell everybody where they can find you, where you you know on Instagram, where your business is at, yep. all that stuff.
1: Yep, absolutely. Everything's under Mike's Archery. So if you're looking for us, uh, www.mikesarchery.com for the website. Uh, Instagram, Facebook book is at Mike's Archery. TikTok, uh, and then most certainly our YouTube channel. Man, go check out our videos over there on on bow ideas and and just our, our opinions, that's all they are, but uh, go subscribe to that too on YouTube under Mike's Archery.
0: Cool. All right. Well, uh, do me a favor next time you see Dan smack the shit out of him for me. Uh, Dan, if you're listening. I well.
1: certainly will. I, I, I call him at least once a week just to bust his balls. So. Uh, <laughs>
0: perfect. Well, I appreciate you guys hopping on, and, uh, yeah, let's stay in contact. Good, good luck this season, and, uh, yeah, hopefully everybody learns something.
1: Yep, absolutely.
2: Thanks a lot. Yep. Take How it easy. Doing there? You we'll too.
1: Whether your hunting passion is Western big game, Midwest whitetail, sheep hunting, waterfowl, upland, or a mix of everything. Black Ovis is where you'll find hunting gear that performs and stands up to the demands of your hunt. And it's not a piece of hunting gear we'd use. It doesn't belong on black Ovis. We earn your loyalty with wicked and fast free shipping, unmatched customer service, Hunting gear and field knowledge, and a selection of hunting supplies as the envy of any
0: hardcore hunter. Black Ovis is your home for solid hunting gear. Give us a call or check out the website at blackovis.com.